right. How are we doing? Good, 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 good. Uh, if you have your Bibles, grab those. Matthew chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning. Matthew uh, chapter 4. Uh, just a few things I want to make you aware of before we uh, jump in fully. Um, there is a blanket in the lobby just when you go through the doors to the right over there. Uh, just kind of a prayer blanket. Like I said, we have uh, some ladies that gather on Monday here and, and they, they sew and do some different things and fellowship and just grow uh, together in the Lord. And um, one of the things that God's just burdened them for is that when there's a need that comes up um, in, in somebody's life, whether it be uh, a surgery or a sickness or just, just stuff, um, they have made these blankets that are prayer blankets that you can, uh, got little strands of string that you can tie together and, and pray. Like there's a, a card out there for the things to pray about. And so um, we've been made aware of uh, someone that has, uh, I believe it's cancer, um, and she's a mom of, of two young two young ones. And so um, I don't believe it looks very good, um, but I know we serve the one who uh, doesn't look at things the way that we do. And so they've just uh, been pressing their heart to, to make that blanket for us to pray over, to present to her. Um, and so um, it's, it's, it's no one in here, but it's someone that knows someone, uh, and so just burden for that, that family, and so that prayer, prayer blanks out there, just ask if, if you, when you leave today, if you just kind of swing over there and just spend some time praying and tying those knots, um, and so uh, first thing, second thing is this, is our budget is out, our proposed budget for the upcoming year is out, it's at, at the um, uh, entrances at the side over here uh, to the parking lot and out front at the welcome desk, you can grab one of those, um, look over those, uh, we'll have a, a question answer time September 14th, that's a Wednesday night, um, 6.30 uh, here in the sanctuary, Wednesday, September 14th, 6.30 here in the sanctuary, uh, that, that'll be in the bulletin next week. Uh, kind of these dates, uh, and then we will, covenant members will vote on that proposed budget uh, September 18th uh, after the close of our service, and so uh, just kind of a little heads up of how things will unfold there, uh, but be sure to take that, grab it, look at it, any questions, let us know, and then we'll have a Q&A time uh, also uh, Wednesday, September 14th. Um, uh, and then the, the last thing that I just want to bring before us that was just really cool, I know I announced it last week, uh, but Tuesday I had the privilege to swing by the bank with a check of, oh, say, 136000 and something, and hand it to them, and they're like, what? And I was like, what? And it was awesome. Now we don't have any more debt. That's going away, yes. Um, which that's reflected in that budget for this upcoming year. And so we, we uh, were able to pay off the remaining uh, mortgage of this building, uh, and so it's going to allow us to do some things uh, ministry-wise that we are excited uh, about there. So that, that was just really, really cool, and so they'll be sending us all that, that stuff, the paperwork there, the finalization of stuff, and so uh, just, like I said, just want to let you know, I just it was really awesome to be able to step in there, uh, take care of that, and what makes me even more excited is to see what God's going to do uh, this coming year as a result of that. So, um, so we are two weeks into our New Testament reading plan, and I'm uh, just hearing some pretty amazing things, kind of getting excited how uh, people are spending time in the Word, maybe in a different way than you've ever done that, and kind of a way to, to read and study the Scriptures, uh, and we're using the HEAR method, and so um, just kind of working through, through some of that, it, it just excites me to hear people excited over God's Word. It excites me to hear that people are getting in the Word and reading it and asking questions and, and breaking down and trying to figure out, out more because I believe that that's where God shapes us and forms us all the more. And I believe one of the areas that the church struggles in nowadays is biblical literacy, uh, being able to open up the Scriptures and, and explain and 
read and tell. And, uh, um, and, and so I just, I just I love the fact that we're just pointing you to the Scriptures. We want you to get in God's Word. We want you to ask questions. We want to uh, just, just walk through that with you and just, um, uh, just, man, just see what God does whenever we, whenever we allow His Word to just permeate our heart. And so, um, and so what we're doing is our teaching series on Sunday mornings will just be from some of the readings that you read the previous week. So this morning, Matthew uh, chapter 4, we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus because that was just one of the things that we read last week that just kind of got, God just captured my heart. He just pulled me in. And so, uh, so that, that's where we'll be this morning. Matthew 4 there, uh, looking at temptation and how Jesus uh, battled that temptation, how he overcame temptation, and just how he, uh, just, just, just looking at that story, breaking it down and allowing the scriptures to, uh, uh, to just point us to certain things, to show us certain things about us, about God, and just uh, how to even overcome certain things. And so, uh, for the believer, temptation is everywhere. Uh, everywhere, temptation is there. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's just uh, blaring and just right in our face, and it's uh, it's a no-brainer. And then other times, it just kind of like says sneaks in, and it uh, can just can just get us. I mean, t- uh, temptation can be an attack that comes from a, a legitimate need in your life, even. And we'll see that this morning in this text, in this scripture. It was a legitimate need that Satan tries to, uh, to use to, to slip up uh, Jesus, to trick Jesus, to get him to act outside the will of the Father. And so uh, that's what we'll see today. And so I think there's something we need to understand about Jesus uh, in this scripture, in the scriptures period, uh, before we uh, go on. So we just talked about our living hope. We, we just sang about our living hope, and the reason why he's our living hope is because he defeated sin and overcome death in the grave, that, that he has paid for us a ransom that we cannot pay for ourselves. And, and the thing about Jesus is this, is that Jesus was 100% God all while being 100% man. How that works together, I don't have a clue. I, I, don't, I don't know how that happens, how that works. But what I know, and as we read the scriptures, we, we, we see that. And we see other scriptures that say things like this, that he was in every way tempted like us, but without sin. So, so Jesus was man. And I think the thing that really encourages me this morning as we read through that, as we see that, uh, to be reminded of that. Oh, yes, Jesus, of course, temptation wouldn't get him. But Jesus was in the flesh. Jesus had limited himself. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Jesus was like us in that fact, in that form, in that, in that fashion. The fact that, that he would get tired, the fact that he would need to sleep, the fact that he would need to eat. He was, he was in his humanity, still the Son of God that came to rescue and redeem and to live a perfect life, sinless. And so, so we need to remember that. We need to understand that, that Jesus in this story, in the scriptures, like us, still battles this, and he comes out victorious. And we're going to see why. And so as you've read this week, he's been baptized, the Holy Spirit ascends on him, which leads us to where we'll be this morning. Matthew 4.1 says this. Matthew 4.1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So I don't know how you read scripture, but like when I read scripture and I see things like that, I'm like... Let, let, let me just make sure that, yep, he was led by who? Where to? To be what? I love that interaction. Guys, that was good. Ah, oh, y'all can preach. The Spirit led him there. And I'm like, is it maybe a misprint? Maybe that was a, a little recording issue back in the day? I mean, like, like uh, do we read that right? Did they record that right? 
That, that the Spirit would lead Jesus to a place where he would be tempted by the devil. That the, the same Spirit living in him led him to the place where there would be temptation. Where there would be temptation. And so, so you, you need to understand and know something. We need to get this. That when God leads us to a place where there may be temptation, know he has and will give us the means to overcome that temptation. Uh, just like he did Jesus here. So, so we need to understand and know that anytime that there's temptation, we have been giving everything that we need to, to overcome that temptation, not to, not to slip up and give in or not to fall in temptation, not to be overtaken by temptation. Uh, we, we need to understand that and know that. And so I want to talk for just a minute about temptation. What is temptation? Because temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin because if it was sin, then Jesus would be disqualified for paying uh, that price due. So temptation is not sin. It's when we give in and we act on that temptation that it's sin. And so when we see temptation, when we're aware of temptation there, or uh, we know what temptation leads to, we always need to view that as serious and we need to handle it swiftly. Uh, Because if you're around it much, the flesh is weak. The flesh is so weak. And I don't think God's impressed with how long we can stay and be around or how close we can get to the edge without falling over. I think he's far more impressed with the fact that we want nothing to do and we recognize and we realize and we step away and we get away from the temptation. And so in the scriptures, you'll see Jesus, uh, uh, how he does it, how he battles that temptation, what he does. But before we get to that, I just want, I just want to do this. I want to take a, a deeper look at temptation. And I believe uh, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, James, gives us some insight on that. Uh, so James 1.12 says this. He says, blessed is the man. And so that word blessed here is happy, but not how we define happiness uh, based on uh, situations and circumstances. It's, it's more of a joy Uh, This is a person who has true joy based on a certainty that's unchanging. So blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Steadfast just means that they're unmoved, they're focused, they're strong, they're intent. They're headed in one direction, fervently headed in that direction. So blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Just uh, uh, just meaning and saying eternal life, the fullness of joy in the presence of Jesus for eternity. That's what the crown of life is. That's what we inherit. That's what we get, which God has promised to those who love him. And he goes on in 13, he says this. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Okay. Isn't that a discrepancy from what we just read? The Spirit led him to the wilderness to be tempted. The Spirit led him to a place knowing that there would be temptation there. It's not the Spirit doing it because, look, James is going to explain that for us here in just a second. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So, So Jesus is saying that it's not God doing the tempting here, but that there's something else going on, something else that we need to be uh, aware of, that we need to be uh, uh, in tune with. And so he goes on and says, but each person is tempted when he was lured and enticed by what? His own desires. It's not God doing it, because God's going to lead us to places. He's going to take us to places. He's going to do stuff in us. But when we get to those places, we've got to be careful because we're tempted when we're lured and enticed by what our desires. So I believe we need to talk about our desires uh, versus God's desires, that flesh and that spirit thought. Galatians 5.19 says it like this. He says, um, the flesh is this, is it sexual immorality, it's impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, uh, strife, jealousy, 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, Paul says to the church there at Galatia, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That may be a better rendering of that last verse there, is those who uh, uh, practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's your natural inclination and running to and acting upon, Every time, always. I'm not saying we won't fall into sin, we won't struggle, we won't be overtaken by temptation from time to time. But if that's our natural bent, our natural drawing, our natural reaction, our natural longing, then, then Paul just lovingly says, hey, then, then you're, you're not a part of the kingdom of God. You're, you're, you're controlled by the flesh, not by the spirit. And so what he says there is that, is that when we're tempted, we're enticed by those desires, the flesh desires. I mean, that list there in Galatians 5.19, sexual immorality, impurity. Do we not live just in a sex-crazed world? I mean, everything is about it. I mean, I think of the commercials back in the day were Hardy's cheeseburgers. I mean, just just throw the cheeseburger up on the screen and and that's enough. But no, it has to be some uh, uh, scantily dressed uh, something, eating a cheeseburger, and the ketchup drops off just at the right place, and the wind's blowing just right. And I'm just like, it's a dang cheeseburger. Why? That sells cheeseburgers, apparently. Maybe you want to go to Hardee's? I'm going to need you to put on something less than that. No, I'm joking. But it's, I mean, that's the world and day we live in. Why? Because the flesh is drawn to that. I mean, the world's not dumb. They know what sells, they know what draws, they know what gets our attention. And so, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Idolatry is just simply anything, that small G God that you worship, that your heart longs for and runs to. Enmity, strife, jealousy. I mean, social media has just stirred that pot, has it not? Uh, I mean, I mean the, 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 little, the little 10 second clip of the best thing that happened to you all day that you post up there. I mean, everything else is on fire over here and falling apart and the, the car's smoking and the kids are, but, but you get them cleaned up just long enough to snap that picture in those 10 seconds. And what does it do? It stirs. And why isn't my life like that? Why, why do I? And again, it's, it's us focusing on the wrong things. It's, that, that just, it's our desires, our flesh. Why can't it be like that for me? It's, 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 it's uh, envy. He says drunkenness, orgies, all of those things. He says, I warned you. I've told you. What he says is that's, that's the flesh showing itself. And, and I'm not saying that we, we don't struggle with that from time to time. That list, as we read through there, I mean, I'm sure there's things that maybe even hit you this week. Temptations that came at you this week from that list. But as a believer, as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we've been given a new nature. We've been given a new heart. We're still in this flesh, and we have to kill it. We have to uh, do that daily, is what the Apostle Paul tells us, to die to self daily. We have to, we're battling this flesh. New spirit, but battling flesh. And so what does the spirit look like? Uh, our desires, flesh. God's desires, spirit. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. That's what a life lived for God's desires in the Spirit looks like. Man, there is, there is immense love flow, flowing from us. I, I, I'm, and I'm not talking about like this, oh, little heart, they can do whatever they want to do, and we'll just overlook that and accept no matter what. That, that's, that's not love. 
Uh, no, love is, is lovingly challenging sometimes. Love is lovingly uh, calling out, holding accountable that there's nothing wrong with that. It, it would be the opposite. Of, like, if I just let my kids do whatever they wanted to do and got them everything they wanted anytime they ever wanted it, is that really love? No, that would be the opposite of love. That would be hate. Why? Because the, the world isn't wired that way, is it? Uh, nowhere ever will it be like that for any of us ever. None. That's not love. It's the opposite. Love is having standards, having but love is being all in regardless of, committed and for regardless of. Joy is a part of the Spirit. Joy is this deep-seated contentment, as I've, as I've already said, not based upon circumstantial stuff, but on an unchanging reality that, that Christ is enough and that I am sealed and secured in who He is and what He has done for me. That, that He has paid a price that I can never pay and that I have been adopted in and that I'm His. Peace, man, there's nothing like laying your head down at night knowing that you have peace. Uh, knowing that there's nothing that can get you or shake you, that could pluck you from his hand. Patience, man, Lord, that's, a, that's definitely a gift of the Spirit, isn't it? Patience, and you got, I mean, just that kindness, goodness, faithful, all of those things, self-control. And so, so Paul just outlines there in Galatians 5 the difference between flesh and spirit, and then he closes James 1, 1 15, says, says this. It says, then, then desire, that longing, that want, when it has conceived, when it's Im- implanted, it starts to grow. Conceived starts to grow. It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So did you just catch how that, how that whole temptation thing works itself out into sinful actions and rebellion against God? It, it starts with us. We, we've got desires that are either not in check We've got desires that haven't been brought before uh, the altar of God and laid down. We've got desires that we haven't crucified. We've got, got, got that little bit of us that still uh, we want to uh, let continue to breathe and, and, and have some life and have, have, have some of our own wants there. And so when, when our own desires, us, that longing in us, because of us there, we, we think on and we look at and we allow it to eventually grow into something that we act upon. That's how temptation works. That's how this thing unfolds. It's, it's on us. It's our desires at war with God's desires. Our desires at war with God's desires. It's that battle of the flesh that we just looked at. I, I can remember back in college, I can't remember who it was, but there was this theologian who, uh, who believed that, um, that, that we would all struggle with either one certain temptation or a few different temptations that would so uh, easily kind of uh, grab our attention and could quickly uh, draw us away from pursuing and loving and following Jesus like he's called us to. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that's the case, but, but the longer I live, the more I get to see that played out in my life. I, I just think of the, the things that so easily entangle me or so easily can, uh, uh, can get my attention and cause me to kind of uh, shift a little bit or kind of sway a little bit or kind of take my eyes off of Christ for a moment. And, and then I think of the Apostle Paul and his thorn in the flesh. And we're not, we're not certain what that thorn in the flesh was, if it was a physical ailment, which was said that Paul, the Apostle Paul had, had horrible eyes and maybe a disease of his eyes and things like that. And his vision was, it was an issue. Maybe that was the thing, or, or maybe it was some sort of, uh, uh, of temptation that, that could overtake him. We're not certain what that is, but it, but it would definitely seem like I mean, our, our, enemy, our enemy knows very well what it takes to get us. And, and if he can't keep us from being 
in Christ, then what he'll do is everything he can to mess us up from walking and being a witness and having the ability to testify of who Christ is and what he has done. And so it's so pertinent for us to understand because if we understand where temptation comes from, now, now we can start to engage in the battle. We can start to do the work that we need to do. So, so back to Matthew uh, 4.2 as we see how Jesus uh, uh, battles temptation. And, and it's so fitting right here at the very beginning in Matthew 4.2 what he does. It says, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. So, so think about that a minute. Fasting 40 days, 40 nights. F- fasting, this is the purpose of fasting. is to, to take our eyes off of the things of this world and focus completely on God. See, fasting is a way to demonstrate to God that we're serious about our relationship with Him. It helps us gain new perspective and a renewed reliance upon God. What fasting does is says this, is that I'm going to cut something vital out of my life. I'm going to fill that time that's vital, that brings about life, something that I need to sustain me and keep me. I'm going to cut that out, and as I cut that out, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to put my attention, I'm going to put my focus, I'm going to uh, spend time praying and seeking, desperate for him to, to fill me with what I need to sustain me to get me through that. I, I'm cutting out the things uh, that the world says that I need, whether it be a healthy, good thing, because uh, not even the world, but our body, we need food. We need food to live and be. And you can only make it so long without it. And so to give up the very thing that gives you life, that sustains you, that gives you energy, that gives you a vigor to cut that out and to say, no, I need you more. You are greater than any food that I'll ever eat. You are the one that brings about life, not this better or, or not this, uh, this, this sustenance that I'm putting in my mouth, but you, it's us dependent and desperate on God. And when we fast, we give up things that sustains life. And in doing that, we declare that he and only he fills that great need. That's what Jesus is doing. Why? Because Jesus knows what he's about to face, doesn't he? He knows what's coming for him. He knows that he's on a rescue mission. He knows that he has limited time to raise up these men to send out. He knows that he has limited time to interact. He was focused. He was intentional. He did nothing just out of no reason, but he always had reason and purpose, man, to live our life that way. And so Jesus knew what was coming. That's why we see him over and over and over, over praying, slipping away. Why? Because he knows where his energy comes from. He knows where his sustenance comes from. He, he knows the, the only way that he'll make it is being connected to the Father. And so that's what we see right at the very beginning of his, of his earthly ministry. Jesus is out fasting and praying and seeking God. Understanding and knowing that that is where anything and everything that he needs comes from. That if he's going to make it, if he's going to do, if he's going to live out and be the perfect spotless lamb, it's only because of the Father in him leading and guiding and doing. And and I just feel that that we as a church, we're about to enter into that kind of a season. I I just feel God's kind of stirring and doing some stuff. And I just believe we're going to enter into a season where we, we spend some time praying and fasting and growing deeper and following closer. I just believe that there's something on the horizon that, that, that we want to just desperately seek God in and ask him to, to give us direction, to show us, to help us understand, to, to know where he would lead us, where he would have us go. And so this is just a beautiful picture of, of Jesus' dependence on the Father, one that, that, that we need to take note of. 
that, that we need to practice as well. So after fasting 40 days and 40 nights here in verse 2, he, he was hungry, right? Legitimate need. I mean, when was the last time you went 40 days without food? You know? I mean, 40 days physically, no food. Legitimate need. I mean, if it was me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, give, give, let's do the Big Mac thing right here. Boom, there it is. Finally, I mean, I don't know why I went Big Mac, right? I mean, like, I'm a dad of three. That's kind of the thing that gets us through week in and week out. Thank you, McDonald's. But anyways, um, uh, you, you're hungry in that moment? I mean, he could have done that. He could have so eat. I mean, physical need right there. He's starving, not eat, eating in 40 days. And then look at what happens in, in a moment of what would appear to be weakness or vulnerability, which, which I, I love how that always works out, isn't it? It's kind of in those moments of weakness or vulnerability or we're kind of down, or we've had a rough day, or we've had a rough uh, 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 whatever it is. The tempter came and said to him, verse 3 there, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So right out of the gate, Satan goes after him. And, and what does he go after him about? He goes after him with the sonship of Jesus. If you are the Son of God, he says. As if like Jesus struggled with knowing who he is. But, but Satan tries to go at that. See, that's the first temptation there. Satan wanted Jesus to use his own power for his own ends. Don't rely on God to come through for you. You, you, don't need, you can just do it yourself. Could he? Absolutely he could have. Did he know why? Because he was, he was under uh, uh, the authority of the Father. He wanted to submit to the Father's uh, uh, direction, his leading, his guiding. And so I think we just need to talk about this for a moment. You need to understand who you are this morning in this room. I, I think we're quick to forget. See, G Jesus didn't forget who he was. He was confident and he was secure in that. In church, we need to be the same. Not arrogant, we need to be confident and secure in who we are. We have been adopted in as children of God. You have the same standing as Jesus does here. Man, we are a child of God. We've been adopted in, we've been, we've been made, we have sonship and daughtership. And doesn't Satan do the same thing to us? Man, I mean, it, Scott, if you really are a believer, doesn't he try to always just, just that for a moment? Like when we mess up, when we screw up, when we, when we miss it, when we uh, act in a way that doesn't represent well, or, or even if it's kind of like we haven't even got to that point yet, it's just been a rough day, and then he kind of slips in, and he's like, uh, tries to convict us of that. Remember, he, he's, he's a liar. He's an accuser of the brethren. So, so if you're getting that, that's a good thing. Why? Because it would point to the fact that you are born again, that you do belong to Jesus. And so he comes at us that way. If you are a son or daughter of God, then you should have done this. Or you shouldn't have done that. He, and he tries to get us to do things like he did Jesus here out of our own power. You know, you're right, I do deserve. Or I should have. I don't need to wait on. I, can just, I, I am a son of the king. I'm going to do it. Same ploys, thousand years ago. Same thing happening. His gimmicks have not changed. Same thing that we face. Verse 4, look at how Jesus answers though. He says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It doesn't seem like much right there, but what that is is a quote from Deuteronomy. I believe Deuteronomy 8. So what Jesus does is he quotes back to the tempter, to Satan, his own words. Jesus' own words. Jesus God. The words of God. He quotes back to the tempter scriptures. 
That's what he does. And church, hear me. We will never defeat temptation if we're not in the word. If we don't have that tucked away in our heart, we will never live victorious lives for Christ. If we're not in his word growing and being changed. And and so my prayer for us is this, is a hunger for God's word. That we have a desire and a longing to know God's word, to walk in God's word. It's, it's crazy in our day for us to be ignorant to God's word. We have to know what we believe and why we believe it. Because we're living in a day and a time where that's going to be challenged. We're living in a day and a time where, where, where the world's coming at us. Just, just as, as Satan did here with Jesus, he's going to do the same thing to us. And if we don't have God's word hidden in our heart, we'll never be able to, to, to fight the battle. I was like, I'm not going to take a knife to a gunfight. I'll get shot. I mean, at best, I might be able to throw it at somebody. And like, I'm not like backwoods West Virginia enough to like really know how to do that. You know? Like, do you grip the blade? Do I throw it from the handle? I don't know. And just hope. I, 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 just, I, I, don't, I don't know. And I don't know why I did this. I don't know why the leg went out. But I just felt like that was the, I made, I made myself bigger so easier to shoot. I don't know. But, but you, you, you've got to know what to fight with. And for us as the follower, as the believer, it's always the word of God. Always the word of God. It's our answer. It's our defense. It's God's voice and presence in our life shaping us and molding us. That's what we need. Didn't get Jesus there. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God. There he goes at him again. That little, if you are type uh, slap, it seems like. And I, I just love how this little ploy doesn't work. Like, like he, he doesn't give in to it. I mean, you, you don't question a man's, ugh, I don't even know what ugh is. You, you, don't, you, just don't, you don't, I won't do it. I'll show you I'll do it. You don't think so? It's kind of like he tries to go at that ego, go, at, go, go that route, and it's just, just not working. Why? Because, again, Jesus is secure in who he is. He's well aware of and knows we've got to get to the same place. And hear me, the only way that we'll ever arrive and be at that place and be secure in who we are is by spending time with him. By spending time with him. Reading his word and knowing what he says about us. Knowing what he thinks about us. Knowing how much he cares for us. Knowing that, 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 that he's not against us, but that he's for us. Understanding that. We've, and the only way we get that is through his word. So the devil takes him there to that holy city shows him the pinnacle, and says to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So here he goes. He's like, okay, well, I, I, just, I get that you just quoted some, uh, uh, some law to me, so let me, let me show you my little, uh, how good I am. And so he, he uh, quotes scripture back to Jesus. The problem is he just, he's interpreted it wrong. So much like the church today, is it not? That's why I love the new reading plan and how we're doing it. Go dig around. Find, what is it saying? What does it mean? And see, that's where churches have gotten trouble in today's world. We want to change what the meaning of a word is. And that's why context is so key when we read the Word of God. Because it can never mean for us what it didn't mean for them. And words have words mean something and I would even go as far as to argue that that the language that we read in the scriptures is so complex that there's not much guesswork in that 
That the Greek language or the Hebrew language is so complex and it's got endings and little articles and different things that points to what it means and it connects back to this and, 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 and what, it means what it means. There's not a lot left in that. And the problem is today is the church has, has distorted and has manipulated and has to try, uh, tried to fit into what the world says is okay or tried to, uh, try to lessen the blow of the reality of who Jesus is and how he set a standard for us to, to be holy and to, to walk and live in a way that honors him. And we want to try to soften that blow for the world. We want to try to, uh, let's just include everyone in and just make them feel good about themselves and then we'll try to, try to get them from there. But if we distort the truth here, we'll never be able to get him when they do get to us. No, no, we, we lead with the word. We don't have to be ashamed of it, is what the book of Romans says. That, that we can proclaim it, and we can do it in a loving, gracious way. And in that, the Holy Spirit works, and he invites in, and he rescues, and he redeems. So we've got to be very, very careful and let the Word of God say what the Word of God says and not change it like Satan tried to do here. We've got to stay true to what it says. We, we don't control God. That's what he was trying to do. We don't make him do stuff. Satan was trying to get Jesus to force God to do something. Test him. Do something. And so Jesus says to him, again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He quotes Scripture in a way that's right and true. So he combats the temptation with Scripture again. He's not going to test God with something so ridiculous and crazy. God's proven himself over and over and over as truthful, as faithful, as sure, as good. And Jesus is not going to give in to it. I don't care who you come at me with who I think I am or I'm not. I'm securing that. And I'm going to lean in on the scriptures because that's where life comes from. That's where truth, there is ultimate truth out there. That's where morality, that's where, where that comes from, from the word of God. I'm just going to lean in on it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to let it permeate me, shape me, mold me. And I'm going to let that be the driving force in me and what dictates anything in my life. So then he goes on, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So, so visual, he, he goes visual now for Jesus, right? We're very visu visually stimulated people. If, if we see it, we want it. Remember how James walked through that temptation stuff? James 1 there, we just read. If we ponder on it, look on it long enough, we'll eventually give in to it. And so that's what Satan's trying to do. He takes him there and he shows him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And, and on top of that, we're the same way, are we not? He... He shows Jesus this. What does Satan do? He, he, he uh, dangles stuff in front of us. He shows us little things that, that appeals to the flesh, that appeals to our emotions, that appeals to our desires. That's what he does. Verse 9, it says this, And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Someone's going to understand. God has allowed Satan to temporarily rule so he thinks. Satan can do nothing outside of God and his word and what he allows. Nothing. I mean, I just think of the story of Job, right? How that goes down. Satan approaches the throne room of God. And he starts this dialogue. And what does God do? God points to Job. 
another one of those things. I'm like, what is he doing? I'm good. At, I'm good. You don't need to point me out nothing. I mean, we, we cool. Let's just keep going like we're going. And he points out Job. And in that story, what happens? The only thing that can happen to Job is what God says okay. The only thing that Satan can do to even touch him is what God says, okay. You don't think that he's fully mine because of who I am? Well, do that. Touch that area. Touch that. He finally gets to the place where he says, touch whatever you want to touch, you just can't take his life. And what does Job do? He stays faithful to God. He stays pointed to God. Now, it's a bumpy, bumpy little reed there, bumpy little ride, kind of midway, and then he gets back to where he needs to be, but, and God restores as God does. But, but Satan can do nothing outside of the allowance of God. And so God has given him that temporary opportunity. And this rule will soon belong to Jesus, and Satan knows that. Satan knows what's coming. And really what this is is an attempt to shortcut the cross. That's what this is. This is a, a little G-God thing that he's trying to do. He's trying to get him to, to, to short-circuit that. Let's go ahead and just get this cheap worship on right now. We'll get people turning to you. They'll, they'll love you. I'll, I'll hand that over to you. What Satan doesn't realize, he's so uh, foolish and, and ridiculous that he doesn't... He, it's already, it's already Jesus's. It already belongs to him. All of it belongs to him. And so he tries to, tries to tempt him with that. And then look at his response. And he says this, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the same response as before. Every time Jesus combats temptation with the word of God. Every time. Every time. He says the only one that is worthy of worship is God. Verse 11 says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. See, this story is also recorded in the book of Luke, which you'll read this coming week. And in verse 13, it has a little different tag there on the end. I just want to show you and point out to you. And just, just remind you, so, you, so you, you guard yourself, you protect yourself. It says, now when the devil had, had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So what we see here, what we know here, is that he or temptation is going to come back again and again and again and again and again. If he can't have you, he wants to do everything he can to mess up anything that you could do for the Lord. Anything that you could do for the Lord. And I would even argue the closer you get to God, the greater that temptation will come after you. The closer you get to God, the greater that temptation will come after you. He doesn't want you growing and maturing in your walk with Jesus. I would even, I would even say this. I don't even believe Satan's upset that you're here this morning. I don't think it bothers him. I think what bothers him is when you're here and you're actually here and you want to be here and you want to hear the word of God and you want him to shape you and mold you. You want the Holy Spirit to be active in your life, drawing you, encouraging you, convicting you, uh, uh, that you want to be serious of giving your life away. Like he wants you to come and just kind of be entertained and enjoy it. And then walk out of here unchanged by it, going back to your life, living it the way that you've always lived it, doing it the way you've always done it, claiming that you believe in Jesus, claiming that you're his, and maybe you are, maybe you're not, uh, but, but doing that having no effect or impact in the world for the glory of God. Satan doesn't hate church. He hates when you get involved in, with Jesus and grow in him and, and you become the church. That's what he hates. That's what he can't stand. And, and the closer you get in your relationship with Jesus, the greater the temptation is going to be. 
Now, I, I, I say this every time I sit down in premarital counseling. And, and I say this, I say, I don't know why it works like this, but it happens. But this right here as it is, is not a problem. The moment you say, I do, and you put a ring on it, and you walk out of that place, as a husband and wife, you better suit up, because he's coming. And he is coming to rip this apart. And then the thoughts are, oh, I mean, I just, I'm so in love, and it's just awesome, and butterflies everywhere, and songs, and... They've been married a while, they know. Which is another awesome just accomplishment there. The length of a marriage in today's world. So the moment you say, I do, what happens? Satan's like, game on, man. Especially if you're a believer. Especially if you're a Christian that's following after Jesus like you're called to. He's going to do everything he can to mess up and to destroy that. Everything he can. Why? Because... Man, what better way to try to debunk or what better way to try to? And, and, and the sad part is in today's world, statistically speaking, 50% of Christian marriages don't make it. 50%. We're right there with the world. We'll never reach the world being like the world. And I'm not, hear me, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that some marriages don't need to end. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. There, there's scripture that, that Jesus provides. There's, there's, uh, there's certain things that Jesus provides to safeguard that would allow us to step out of, but I believe that the heart of God is always reconciliation and restoration, if at all possible. That's what God wants to do, if at all possible. That's what God wants to do. But, but the moment you say, I do, I don't know what it is. You're just, you're in the crosshairs. It's coming. And so if he can't get you like in those, those early stages like that or kind of even a little bit after the honeymoon stage, you know, like the next couple years, all right, he, he may chill out for a bit and then you have kids. Oh man, and that, that oh, even greater ground, is it not? Because it is so easy for parents, it's so easy for us to make our kids something that God never intended for them to be. Like, like you know your kids make crummy gods, right? Like they're horrific gods, I, I, I mean, for you to put that kind of emphasis or power or expectation on them, for them to be your little everythings, you're treading on, on, on ground that's not safe. Kids are a gift from God. They're not God. And I love my boys, but I do not love my boys more than I do Jesus, and I do not love my boys more than I do my wife. That's the order in Scripture. God, my wife, and then the boys. And, and, and where Satan tries to mess that up is he tries to short-circuit that. No, 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 your, your kids, oh, but they're so young and you've got to protect them. And you, I can do that through loving my wife too, first and foremost, outside of Jesus. He's coming, I'm just, I'm just telling you, he's coming and he will do whatever he can to destroy and mess up. So as the band comes up, just know where temptation comes from. It's our flesh, our desires, it's that selfish part of us that, that we've got to crucify every day, every day, every day. Romans 12 says, Jesus says in the Gospels, that, that's first and foremost where it comes from. And then two, we need to understand that we face a real enemy that did everything he could to try to cause Jesus to fail, but he couldn't. So just know he, he, he didn't win, he doesn't win, 
So what he's going to do is he's going to try to do everything he can to cause us to live defeated, defeated lives. And, and he's going to come at us often with, I thought you said you were a Christian. I thought you said you were a believer. I thought you said you loved Jesus. He's just going to constantly just wail on us, wail on us, wail on us with that lie and, and try to make us feel less. You just need to hear this this morning. There's absolutely nothing. As a believer in Christ, as a follower of Jesus, there is nothing that you can do today to cause him to love you more. And there's nothing that you can do today to cause him to love you less than he already does. Nothing. Let that sink in for a moment. You're not so great as to mess this thing up. You're not that powerful. You're not that good. None of us in the room is. There is nothing you can do to cause him to be like, why did I say that one? He knew what he was getting the day that he went to the cross. He knew that it would be work. He knew that it would take a lifetime of us, me, God shaping and molding, teaching, disciplining, encouraging, working through and working in just to get me to the place where he's like, okay, it's time to come home. Think about it for a minute. Nothing you can do for him to love you more or love you less. So we face a real enemy that's going to attack us on the front of who we are or whose we are. And he's going to come at us over and over and over and over and over to try to live a life of giving in to that temptation and sin. And I'm just here to tell you, you don't have to. You don't have to. The, the, the book of 1 John, man, when we get to that here in about six, seven, eight months, man, man, that little phrase is going to keep coming up over and over and over. Is that thought of not having to sin. You, you don't have to give in and sin. We've been set free. God has done a work in us that he has freed us from the bondage of sin and shame. And church, I'm just telling you, if we don't set our heart now on our commitment to Christ and we don't stay in his word, nestled up close to him, then when we're in that moment of temptation, we're going to give in. And so we must constantly be on guard and be in the word. It's the word that helps us. The Holy Spirit working in us the word. And I just think it's so cool that, that I got to preach this this morning because I had, a, I had a really interesting conversation last night. The conversation I had, and this, is, this blows my mind, I'm going to try to keep it together. The conversation I had last night was uh, with my brother-in-law who does some, some amazing work in, in the country of Nepal. Um, and he begins to talk to me a little bit uh, about some of the things that he's, he's done, which I knew of. But then, then he, he mentions this opportunity. And I said, well, what, what you got? What's happening? He's like, I need Bibles. I said, okay. He says, I need 125 Bibles. So, so he helps with some conferences over there to try to equip pastors. I mean, I'm talking pastors like equipping pastors. It's like some dude in a village somewhere who got saved, and now he wants to tell other people about Jesus in his village, and he doesn't have a clue how to. And, and so they, they reach out to these people. They bring them in. They try to train them up over a week. And they send them back out. And when I say bring them in, like they don't fly them in and give them like the best. I mean, like they, they stay in um, eating a lot of rice and some chicken. And they are um, uh, riding on a motorcycle maybe for 15 to 24 hours to get to the conference. So it's, like, it's not like a cool accommodation type conference thing. Not American at all. And so he told me of uh, the last one that he was a part of, that there was this guy that came and said, 
is there a chance maybe I could get a Bible for my brother? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Which just caused that thought to kind of just uh, uh, spread out even more. And so in conversations and things like that, what's happened is this, is is he's come up with, um, as a result of that, uh, that there's these five villages in Nepal that have never heard of the gospel, have never read a Bible, have never heard the name Jesus. Five villages. And I look at my house, and I've got like just 10 Bibles laying around. I mean, the church in America uses Bibles as paperweights. And I think, man, a village. And so I just want to show you real quick this thought. So, so there's this thing called the 1040 window. That's longitude, latitude. And when they kind of meet, there's a square form there. And it's the darkest of dark places in the world. And what I mean by darkest of dark places is this. It's the most lostness in our world. This, this area here, northern Africa, the Middle East, you got India, Malaysia, China. This area is the 1040 window where the gospel is being suppressed or have never been heard or, or they know nothing of the name of Jesus. I mean, there's, there's highly uh, Muslim influence, Hindu. I mean, you got communist China there. You've got uh, Buddhist uh, those are uh, the, the religions of those places. And so he's telling me this, we're talking about it, and I'm like, uh, what, what do you need? I, I want to make this happen. I mean, I, I got some friends, right? We, we, we friends. I got some friends that maybe we can do something about this. I said, so what, what you need? What, what could we do? He says, well, normally what it is is we get the Bibles, they're this price, and then you have to put a delivery fee on it uh, because the person ta- taking the Bibles to those villages charges a delivery fee per Bible. You'll understand that a little bit more here in just a minute. And so usually it's this number. He says, but there, there's a guy over there uh, that works for this ministry that's been shooting a documentary, and, and uh, we've gotten a hold of him. And he said, yeah, I'll be willing to take the Bibles. I'll do it, no charge. So all we have to do is raise the money for the Bibles, and so just to kind of show you, try to, try to explain a little bit, bit more of, of what I'm talking about is this. It's Kathmandu, capital city of Nepal. It's a 16-hour bus ride to Butois. So from here to this town here is 16 hours. And then what's going to happen is they're going to jump on a bus and they're going to take it another 10 and a half hours from Butois to where the road ends. And then what's going to happen is they're going to jump on dirt bikes and they're going to drive nine hours up into the mountains. Like, like I underlined Mount Everest. Like, so that, that's what we're talking about. These, these people live in villages up in, in the Mount Everest area. Like I thought West Virginia was beautiful, but my gosh. And so he's going to jump on a motorcycle, a dirt bike, and ride nine hours to a village where they're going to give out Bibles. And there's going to be three guys do this on dirt bikes. And the thing we've got to understand is this, is he's going to take a nine-hour trip and hit a few villages, and then he's going to have to come back because they can't carry 125 Bibles in one trip. So, so they're going to come, go nine hours, nine hours back, replenish Bibles, nine hours, nine hours back. So we're talking 36 hours just of riding a dirt bike to take a Bible to a village in a place that has never, ever, ever, ever heard the name of Jesus spoken. Five villages, never heard. And he said, this has been 13 months in the making. And so I was sitting there last night, and it just it, it hit me. Uh, God took me there for, for a moment, and, 
And I'm thinking, how, how cool would it be if we could partner in this and, and make this happen? So for $7.50 a Bible times 125 Bibles is $937.50. Which seems like kind of a lot at first, but, but what if we had 100 people say, hey, I'll give 10 bucks? 100 people say, I'll give 10 bucks. Man, that, that thing's, 10 bucks is nothing. 10 bucks is that big mic that I'm going to have to miss this week, which would probably be a good thing. As I'm sitting there after he left and I'm just thinking about it, I'm thinking like, man, how cool would that be that, that we have an opportunity on this kind of level to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus? And that day when we're in eternity, doing whatever we're doing, and all of a sudden you hear somebody's story of how they come to know Jesus. And for them to say, I don't, I don't know who did it, but there was this church in South Carolina. I don't even know what South Carolina was until I got to heaven. Now I know all things. But this little church in South Carolina that cared enough about God's Word and the seriousness of God's Word and impacting the nations and that they cared about people enough that they give so that we could have. I mean, I've been saved as a result of that. I'm in eternity because of that. And we'll never know, we'll never see, we'll never get to have conversation with, chances are. So I, just on my heart, I don't know. I'm, I'm, we're going to set up on our website uh, or our app, stuff like that where you can give, or, or after the service, um, Dave back here, wave, hey Dave. Dave is one of our trustees. Um, if you would be interested in giving to that, if you'll just see him. Um, I know we've got our offering boxes. Or if you want to write a check and designate it for that, feel free to do that too. But I just think it's too important and too vital after what we've just seen here in the life of Jesus. I mean, this is life or death. It was life or death for Jesus. It's life or death for us. It's life and death for them. How can we not engage in that way if we know that that's the only way to salvation? And we know that that's the only way to overcome and defeat temptation and to live a victorious life for the glory and honor of God. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God's convicted you of, what he's stirred up in your heart. Um, I, I want to pray for us. The band's going to lead us in a song of response. If you want to come pray, if you want to, uh, whatever God leads you in this moment, you be obedient to. Um, but I, let me pray for us. Father, again, just thank you so much for this morning, for this opportunity to gather as your people, as your church. Guys, I read this story and I just think of my life and the temptation that ever so quickly tries to come after and, Father, how I try to fight it on my own means, own power. And, Father God, instead of just turning to the thing that Satan can't stand and he can't fight against, God, God help me get to that place where your word is so prevalent in my life and my heart that I remind him of that before trying to do it myself. And eventually just giving in. So I just pray for the men and women in this room. God, stir in their heart, convict, draw, encourage, do what only you can do. And Father, help us meet this amazing opportunity and need in our world. How simple it can be. Father, we love you. We need you. I thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you for stories like this that reminds us that we can overcome that we can live in a way that's going to glorify you and honor you. So then we pray. Amen. You, you respond as God leads.